0: Hello, and welcome to the Season 1 Fireside Chat of Fūrasato, a Legend of the Five Rings actual play podcast. You already know who I am. You already know the rest of my cast. And so we're just going to jump straight into it. If you reached this episode in your queue, congratulations. You made it all the way through season one of Futasato. I would love to uh, take the time to commend and say thank you to for listening. This was a labor of love with over the last year. And... I just appreciate each and every single one of you that listened to it. For this little special episode, we're going to just talk as a cast about everything that has transpired within this game. I've been doing a lot of the talking over the season as the narrator, and I kind of want to let my players lead the conversation for this one, and I would love to get their thoughts and feelings on everything that has transpired. I have no idea what where I want to start, but... Before we let the conversation, you guys have been m- a rock this entire year and through everything, you guys brought such a beautifulness to the story. So I just want to say thank you. But yeah, so I couldn't have done this without you guys. You guys are awesome.
1: <laughs> we couldn't do it without you. Thanks for yeah. including us in such a yeah. amazing story. All right, kids. So where do we want to
0: begin in this whole shindig?
2: <laughs> oh, boy, there's a lot even for what? 13, but now 14 episodes. Sure. <laughs> it's so there's a lot to go. There's a lot to go over.
0: Okay. Can I, can I hit you with it. a question? Sure. If you got any questions, it's also
2: a good time to ask. <laughs> so why Legend of the Five Rings? what What drew you to the, not only this world, but like why this game in particular?
0: Ooh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it really is because to give my thought process real quick, when I started this, when I started Vi Tribe in the cramped of November two thousand and twenty-one, mind you. So we're even going a little bit further than normally. November 2021, little old me sat there after multiple tabletop games he was a part of be dissolved for X, Y, Z reasons, and he decided, you know what? I'm going to run some games, but I don't know which ones to run. So let's figure it out. So honestly, what kind of helped me figure out why I wanted to run Legend of the Five Rings as a season one game is because... I was looking for something different. I was already running Call of the Deep at this time, and I was like, you know what? Let's see what else there is out there in the tabletop space because I wanted to not only learn about different systems, I wanted to be able to tell different stories in different kind of genres, if you will. A lot of my influences come from TV and movies and pop culture in general, so the way that I tell my stories is like how I would film or produce a TV show or a series. Each different game is going to have a different theme to it. Initially, what drew me to Legends of the Five Rings was the fact that it was a samurai game. <laughs> and I was like, Ooh, yeah. okay, playing in a fictional feudal Japan is going to sound really cool. It's going to be a f- nice samurai epic. We're going to have sword fights, all that stuff. Like the typical things you think of when you think of like feudal Japan and samurai, it's going to epic fights, It's going to be lots of honorifics, that kind of stuff. I figured, why not give it a try? Of course, this was the one game I had to do a lot of research and some learning on, especially when it came to the dice rolling mechanics, because I have never ran a game with that type of dice mechanics of you roll and you can keep and discard rolls that you have, as we found out later in the season. And of course, the dice... And the way that the symbols work, too, was something that I needed to learn as well. So ultimately, that's what initially drew me to Legend of the Five Rings. Then, as we'll probably talk about later, the course of the story definitely changed (laughs) from the original direction. And I'm totally okay with that because the direction change ended up being better in the long run for me as a storyteller. But yeah, I was just interested. I thought Samurai sounded cool. And yeah,
2: <laughs> in lieu of saying the tr- story changed a great segue for me personally, when that change happened was the session where the group of shithead lions started to pick on us. And I already had a stomach, I already had a feeling in my tummy, like, oh, we're going to, we're really going to ride this. We're going to be young adults and they're going to fuck. <laughs> That's like the point in time. It's like, I could see when. The story was shifting. I don't know what it was like when it was for you guys. But yeah, that was a turning point for me.
0: You bring up an interesting point and I would I would love to hear from all of y'all as well. Where at what point in the story did you feel in the similar sense of Amador that the story shifted for you and you were like, okay, let's see where this goes. I know it's I know it's a very broad question. (laughs)
3: I think for me it was after the session where we talked to the ghost of the past champion because that conversation when he asked us to look after his his kin mm-hmm. that was up to that point I just I, I in my mind, I just thought that we were nascent adventurers, nascent samurai, going through this. But that uh, that uh, that gave a, a little twist. That at least for me, playing Shodai made me want to strengthen the bonds with the group.
0: Yeah, it. It's different for everybody. So, if really quickly, for me. And I'm the one who wrote the dang story, but my honestly, my turning point, actually, it didn't happen in session. It was actually a conversation I had outside of session. And it's not necessarily through. it's not necessarily like blowing anyone's spot up, but the t- what made it the turning point for me and the type of story I wanted to tell with this game was actually a conversation that I had outside with Will and Chris and we were i forgot exactly how we got into the conversation but collectively they wanted to explore a relationship of some sort and so initially i was like okay cool this is going to be we're going to include this down the line it's going to be interesting what but the more that we had the conversation and the more that i talked to the both of them i started to think a little bit from a narrative perspective oh and again You tend to have lots of good epiphanies when you're stuck with a cold and your head is full of fog for some reason. Like Weirdly enough, when I'm sick is when I have my most brilliant ideas. But as I was laying up with the cold and I'm just like lying in bed trying to go to sleep in the middle of the night, I had this conversation with them while I was sick. And then as I was in bed with my own thoughts, I started... I want everyone to follow this train of thought for me. (laughs) So this is going to sound very weird and very interesting, but I thought about, and this also goes with what I do for a living as a middle school teacher. I always thought, has there really been a story that kind of is told through the perspective of a young adolescence? So I thought about it and then I got philosophical as it. Well, I'm like, I wonder what would happen if we were to tell the story from the perspective of a young adolescent or a teenager and how they view the world that they live in and mirroring our own society, the kinds of things and the rigidity of society as a whole. What does it look like for a teenager this day and age? who is learning more about the world, who is more open about the world, what kind of different things would they encounter in terms of what they deem as important? Because in my line of work, what young adolescents view as important is not the same as adults, but that's because of the perspective they have on the world. So I wanted to explore what would happen if a bunch of characters, instead of, going on a regular samurai epic with all the bells and whistles that come with it. What does it look like if we keep it more grounded within their world that they live in? And that's when I presented it to you all as a group. I was like, this is what I'm thinking about the story. If you want to continue with the samurai epic, we can, but this was just a thought that I had. And I got to be honest, I was blown away of, how immediate you guys were with wanting to do that new change in the story. And I think from there, that kind of shifted my focus of what kind of story I wanted to tell. Granted, the samurai epic would still have some heart in it, but it was seeing you all and the kind of nuances of your character choices leading up to that point that made me realize I want to explore this a little bit. I just hope they're okay with me changing it halfway through the season.
3: <laughs> I can't speak for everyone
0: else, oh. but <laughs> oh no, I think we lost him. No, oh no, oh no, he's moving. Never mind. Who me? Did he?
2: Yeah.
3: yeah. I like Spike. I like Spike. Sorry.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh. Like really hard. <laughs>
3: sorry. What, did I... Mikey? What did I? What did I miss? You say? I'm sorry.
0: Oh, no, you were saying I can't speak for anyone else, but... And then we just left off there. (laughs)
3: Okay. Yeah, I can't speak for anyone else, but coming into this, I didn't know what to expect. So, the fact that you, like, changed story direction a few sessions in, I didn't notice, or... Not that I didn't notice. I wasn't expecting... It was all unexpected anyway. So it, it was delightful.
2: Could you say you didn't like anticipate it? Because like even going into like D&D or Pathfinder or whatever, maybe you expect certain story beats and you anticipate it and you get prepared for that. But like the curveball that you're like, what if now? What if we all just saw this through the lens of being young adults? And like you said, seeing how it is being them for a little bit in the game and in this time period I forgot I was going with that but yeah down yeah, that's what it sounds like but yes yeah so tell me Will, Chris, Michael with the whole relationship between Kaito and Mio how long have you been holding on to that like <laughs> how long was that brewing how long where you just can't wait to just yeah, it's funny. Actually,
4: we had been we hadn't actually been talking about it very long. No, we weren't. <laughs> oh my god! You no, know, it wasn't at all. We were. I was just we, I threw an idea out there, and to Mikey, I was like, "Hey, what do you think about I, this? Is what I want to do? I, I want to make Mio gay. I want to do that." And and I sent all kinds of research his way about gay relationships and samurai. Culture and all this, it was all this, thing. and then we reached out to Chris and we we're like, Hey, what do you think? I was like, Hell yeah, <laughs> it was born, and we talked about it. I don't, we didn't talk about that long, actually. No, a few weeks, right?
1: Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, we didn't talk about it. We talked about a few weeks, I think one episode went by, and yep. then the next episode i popped the question (laughs)
4: yeah we went all in we went all in and i was like all right let's do it because i think originally we were gonna like draw it out a little bit that's yeah and then but we just we went in we went and i was like okay let's do this
1: just something about that moment i was like i did i was yeah screw it let's do it let's do it now (laughs)
0: So that was the funny bit, too, because I had no idea they were going to pull the trigger this early. And then, (laughs) like everybody else, I was watching it unfold. And I'm sitting here. I'm like, oh, my gosh, they went for it. And then it just went on and they made it beautiful. I was like, yeah, I was just as shocked as the rest of the audience. I was like, what is happening
2: right now?
4: We didn't hold on. We weren't holding on to that for
2: very long (laughs) at all. And it it played out very smoothly. I will say that was very tasteful. And we wanted,
4: yeah, that was, you know, yeah. Yeah, the, that was the idea.
2: The, that we really wanted to be.
4: We didn't want it to be weird. We wanted it to be like truthful and and honest. And so we did. We talked about that a lot. And to be honest, mm. that's really what we talked about most: how do we portray this, and how do we do it right, and that sort of thing. We really wanted to make sure that we weren't just, oh, let's do this just to do it. We wanted to yeah, make sure that exactly. it makes sense.
2: Exactly. Was that really just... Oh, no. <laughs> Go for it, Amador. <laughs> oh, no. I was just going to say real quick, was that, like, really the only concern you guys had majorly about that?
1: Yeah. Like, the biggest thing that we were talking about is to make sure that we're doing it justice. Like, yeah. so much in... You see any sort of media with gay relationships, it could it's either... Shoehorned in, it's it's the comedic point. It's it's done in a way that isn't the greatest, and we wanted to make just make sure we're doing it justice. It was during a time when I think we had a lot of we had to cancel a session a few times, so we had plenty of time to talk about it. Mm-hmm. It just felt like between after the session that we first started talking about it and the session that we did it, it just felt so short. But that was one thing that was, I think, on both of my minds. I don't know about you, Will, but just making sure that we're doing it justice in a way, almost like the gay characters that we want to see
4: portrayed. Yeah, yeah. I pulled a lot of what – I pulled a lot of it from my own personal life, to be honest. And I, I pulled that from my past and put made it real mm-hmm. as opposed to I'm just going to make up this random – gay encounter. I was like, well, let's, you know, if we're going to do it, let's do it. Let's, I want people to, when they hear it, that it's more, Hey, that could be me. I could be do that. Let me, I, exactly. that's an empowering type of thing. As opposed mm-hmm. to like the stereotypical teenage love romp that we see so much today. We wanted it to be more, more realistic. Yeah.
3: Oh. I, if I may, from a storytelling, ta- telling from a storyteller standpoint and from a, audience standpoint because much like you the audience listening to us when when that scene happened i was part of the audience and i don't i don't want to diminish it or anything or take anything away from it but taking the whole the whole gay thing from it it was a beautiful romantic scene like it was just like It couldn't have been more well written. And had, if no, if someone just listened and had no, no context that your two characters were male, I think that they would have just, that one of you, that one was the opposite sex and and that it was, that it just was because that was, it was a beautiful moment. It was a beautiful moment. You guys acted it so well, played it so well. And that's, that is, one of the reasons why i what that's one of the moments i should say that when that i sat here and was like wow i really enjoy this system where it's not just like we walk into a room we roll initiative we hack and slash at stuff i'm going to turn and talk to your character okay i'm gonna roll charisma like we it was actually giving the players the credence to write these beautiful scenes yeah beautiful and powerful bringing the whole fact that the two of you the two of your characters are male it just it makes it more powerful and just gives it more gravitas it just ah that was fantastic 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 scene fantastic scene
2: beautiful play it's beautiful
3: quiet quiet Think. <laughs>
1: I'll just say this. That was the first time I did any sort of true improv. (laughs) Because I had no idea what was going to happen or how it was going to happen or what either of us were going to say. And I just, I think, so, and I'll bring this up. So, if y'all haven't seen, we do have a pretty big fan who posted about us. And I was messaging with them and they actually said, what was the exact quote that (laughs) they texted me? okay, I must ask the samurai boys stop making me feel so single. Aww. Aww. And I was like, I was awe, but also the fact that thinking about it too, like, Will, you said you, you drew on a lot of your past experiences for that. I don't have really any past experiences. That was more me coming up with, again, what I'd want and what I want to see. I'm single as well. So, I'm like... It's just, it was really interesting to explore that from that perspective. And it was new for me. I've never, in any sort of game, whether it's D&D or any other TRPG, I haven't ever seen any sort of romantic relationship, besides from the couple that decides to play D&D together and make themselves (laughs) an already established couple. So... This was a unique experience to me, and I thank you all for allowing us to explore that because it was something that I've never done before and would always love to try to do.
0: I think for me as your storyteller, once I was presented with the idea, I definitely was no issue of, no, we're going to do this at some point. But then I also remember the subsequent confirmations because I wanted to make sure that it was done correctly because in my young experience as a storyteller as a game master as a dungeon master i've only been doing this for a short time <laughs> and so this is mo- this is the first story that this is the first game i've ever ran that had any type of relationship involved in it those in itself can be a tricky thing to navigate when it comes to the game but then when you it's going to sound bad to say it like this so i don't want anyone to take offense to it But relationships in a TRPG are tricky in general. But when you throw that nuance of it being a same-sex relationship, it doesn't matter what it ended up being, whether it was between two males, two females, and everything in between. I was nervous because I wanted to make sure that it was presented in a tasteful way. And I wasn't worried about the players themselves not doing it correctly because I was like, Will Chris." They got it. I don't need to worry about that. But from a storyteller's perspective, I was worried about me presenting this out into the world and just a little bit of hesitation, not of so it being a same-sex relationship, but I was worried about the perception people would be saying, be like, oh, that wasn't done right. It wasn't a lot of blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I... Made sure that I took every precaution I could to make sure that it was done tastefully. But ultimately, I had to trust in my players to be able to do it because this is what they, this was their idea. And I want to see it through. And so I was just like, all right, I trust them. So I just got to trust myself that it's going to be done. And boy, howdy, was it done well. Yeah.
4: And I have to say, just to touch on that real quick, and then I'll stop, is as a gay man, I wasn't going to let it be that anyway. Because that's one of my big things. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. Because you never know who's listening out there. And like I said, my biggest thing is I didn't want it to be this big stereotype. It was both. That just That would just drive me insane. And Chris did fantastic. Fantastic! You were—it was a great—you were, you were a great partner to play off of. So, so well done. It didn't—the funny thing is, it didn't. It wasn't any work. Honestly, it felt natural. So, well done.
1: That's yeah, I think talking. I. No, I, I think that's what what really made it is, like even though I don't have as much relationship experience, it just really came from who I am and just felt natural. I think I don't know. It
0: just worked. (laughs) That's the best way to describe it. And I think for me, too, it's um, so I I haven't told Chris and Will this yet, but when they presented the idea to me, I didn't tell them this because I was so gung ho for it. But in the back of my head, I was worried because I'm like, I just hope I don't disappoint them and I don't turn it into a stereotype I knew that they themselves weren't going to, but the back of my mind, I was like, okay, Mikey, you can't screw this up. You do not want to disappoint them. Do not invalidate the experiences that they've had up to this point, (laughs) which is always a weird thing because when it, you want, when it comes for me as a storyteller, I always want to have those nuances and I wanted to try to be as engaging for the audience as possible So sometimes games are going to include real world things. And like anything, it's how you present them that can either make or break a story. But it's also important for me, especially if something is introduced into my story that I don't have any personal experience with. I don't I always make sure that I do my due diligence to make sure it's presented properly and it doesn't become a stereotype because as somebody who's part of a marginalized group, that's already hard enough. And I don't want to perpetuate that. So in a weird way, that was my biggest worry is I just hope I don't disappoint.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing about this game is that's really beautiful is that like what Adolfo said, it's it's not just you go into a room, you describe it, you roll initiative and do it's very it's a very humanizing and like surreal experience, honestly, it's I can almost put. Myself in most characters' shoes, especially with Yaka and his familial troubles, not particularly with like his father figure, but just having that kind of like acceptance and that self-doubt. It's a very real and a very human emotion and be able to translate that from the tabletop game because it is just mostly role-playing. It just feels a little comforting in the scheme of things.
0: Yeah. And for me too... This is going to be put out to the public, but each game in season one put a different set of my storytelling skills to the test. And I learned a lot about myself, my style and just what I like in a story and from all the games. For me personally, looking back, I think this story was probably the story was probably the easiest to write. And that's not to devalue the way that it turned out but I think it was easy to write only because what Adolfo mentioned earlier with the way that the system for this game works. Of course, we had the dice mechanics and we had the rolls and things like that, but this was a very story heavy kind of game where most of it was just RP with some dice mechanics thrown into it. And it was a collaborative story. So for me, this was probably the easiest to write because I wasn't really thinking about the dice mechanics. I was like, okay, let's see where the story goes from here. And honestly, I didn't have to prep too much because y'all made it so <laughs> easy just because of how stellar your talent is and just the way that you interacted with each other and just played your characters made it so much easier to start to slip in those little bits of information that, I've been holding on to you since character creation. Which I think has been the most satisfying for me. No. But in a, yeah, oh. But in a weird way, too. I was the most nervous with the story, too. Just because, especially once we changed the direction of it, I was just like, oh, gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. Ah.
2: Now, with this all in mind, I guess the biggest question, at least for me, the biggest question, what is what was everyone's favorite like point in the game? Because... My favorite was towards the end, not that Ikigai cut the kid's hand off, but that it actually turned out that he was eh, or from the clan Kitsune. And I just had that sneaky suspicion. It was a- and actually being able to see it play out, it was. I thought it was chef's kiss.
0: Yeah, me and Mikael have been sitting on that since the inception of this game. And for it to finally come into fruition... I was like, I don't know how they're gonna to react to this, but let's see, and Lord have mercy was great.
3: This might sound sound selfish. And also side note, if you hear weird noises, it's because I'm currently feeding my toddler a bottle. <laughs> I'm a toddler, my I'm my newborn. My newborn, I'm feeding my newborn a bottle. But yeah, this might sound a little selfish, but my my favorite in game was when we were doing the trial and I botched That role, going over the mud pit, and I—it's one of those, you know, when most people botch a role in a game. Hang on, buddy. When most people botch a role in a game, they get very freaked out and very anxious, and they're like, "Oh man, oh this is terrible." But sometimes failures can bring out some of the best scenes ever and I just as soon as I filled that role I just I said to myself if I'm doing this I'm doing this big and that's when he just when showed I just stopped and regarded that mud pit and was like yes and jumped in the mud pit and then to top that off Josh's character comes in to, to help him out, and, and no one in the group chastised Shodai or anything like that. They, it was just like, like shows
4: up and he's covered in mud, and everyone's like, okay, it was great. It was great.
0: Oof.
4: Mine was any time Shodai pulled food out of his clothes. <laughs> Every scene, I was waiting for it. I was like, okay, what's he going to pull out of his clothes today? <laughs>
0: And that's why when he, Adolfo wasn't here, I was like, dang, I never realized yeah. how much I missed the food being pulled out of the kimono. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Truly, every episode, I'm just like, what is he going to pull out of his clothing today?
0: It was beautiful. Chris, what about you?
1: Oh, God. What was my favorite part? I. It's like that the entire thing was just incredible and there's so many parts i've gotta say <laughs> this is gonna sound dumb but i gotta say any point in the game where all of a sudden i could see it as an anime in my head as an actual anime in my head i was like yes oh like there were just so many moments like that and it's oh Yeah, I loved, I also loved any time that I was able to pull out some sort of elemental ability and play around with that because unlike in CD or something like else, we're not as restrictive to what actually happened, so being able to be creative with how does that manifest, how does that look is pretty
0: fricking cool. Let me see. I'm in the same boat with Chris. There's a lot of good moments, but I think for me, probably my favorite moment, and this might seem weird, but I think my, honestly, I think my favorite moment of this whole entire game, just because of how personal it was for me, personally, I think when we recorded the two groups separately after the fight, those two sessions were probably my favorite part for me personally for different reasons. But the culmination of those two, of the two groups being interrogated separately. Those are probably my favorite episodes to record other than having that very emotional moment between the Phoenix clan group, obviously, but I think, and this is going to sound silly, but those two sessions in a weird way, validated my storytelling ability and kind of validated that my style of DMing and game mastering is actually viable, if that makes any sense. Because coming into this hobby, uh, spoiler alert, but I was introduced to D&D through Critical Role, as most new fans tend to be. So being able to tell like epic high fantasy stories with like crazy action and all that kind of stuff is what got me into it. But as I started doing my research and just me as a person in general, that's not really my type of thing. I don't knock people who like that kind of stuff, but just me as a person, I'm more grounded in kind of the squishy softness of life, (laughs) so to speak. So I love stories that tend to be a little light and warm and can still have their serious moments, but... I want to bring a lot of heart to my stories that I tell because that's what I wish my legacy to be in the world. Is that I wish to leave my mark on it and people realize that, if anything, and I pride myself on this, my biggest strength is my heart. So I wanted to take that and turn it into a story. And I think after those two sessions, and Josh Adomador and Chris and Will got to see this. But just how much of a cathartic feeling and me bawling my eyes out at the end of both sessions helped me. It gave me a boost of confidence. I didn't. I never knew that I needed when it came to my storytelling and game mastering capabilities. But it just validated that when I started this whole Vibe Tribe thing, it just validated that this is what I want to do. And these are the types of stories I want to tell. And the fact that people gravitate towards it was something I honestly, I didn't think that would be possible, <laughs> but I, again, silly, a little bit of selfish too, but those two sessions were probably my favorite part because they were beautiful moments and it helped give me that confidence boost and it invalidated that the types of stories that I want to tell are valid. Despite what some naysayers may say, but that's a story for another time. Yeah, gentlemen, I think it is about that time. (laughs) I do want to give if everyone's cool with it. I do want to give everyone a chance to give their final thoughts and the listening audience kind of say goodbyes and things like that. He's going to hate me, but Chris, I'm going to have you go first. Don't look at me like that.
1: what it's not like it's the last time i'm gonna see you i'm in like 10 billion games for next season
0: (laughs) i'm also in 10 billion of yours but yeah wait
1: anyway seriously though this has been quite the journey this has been a game that's been on my list of ones to play for quite some time and finally getting the chance to do it has been fantastic so i hope you all enjoyed the love and joy we brought to this game the thoughtfulness and i hope you i hope you stay tuned for what happens next because i i I think i at this point i am speaking for mikey this isn't the last time y'all gonna see us (laughs) y'all will see these characters in some shape or form in the future but i am thank you so much for listening and see you on the other side
0: oh my goodness even though he's in the middle of feeding the baby, Adolfo. All
3: right. Um, final words. Final words. First, uh, my words for my fellow players. This group is a fantastic group to work with. I only hope that that people out there in a podcast land, if you play tabletop RPGs, uh, are a fourth as lucky as I am to play with a group like this, that you can just kind of lob the ball up and know that someone is either going to catch it and run with it or smack a home run of a scene. It is very, and speaking from uh, as a professional performer, I can say that guys, I'm a professional performer. I like filled out W9s and shit and everything. Damn. Anyway, speaking as a professional performer, it is—you get so lucky when you pair up with someone that you just have that that mojo with. And each and everyone in this group, we all had great mojo. And I'm just so happy that I got to play and that I'm part of this group. I'm excited to see where Shodai goes from here. I hope that you out there that you're excited to see where Shodai goes and what wacky foods he pulls from secret pockets amongst his outerwear. But I would like to thank you out there in Podcast Land for allowing us to entertain you through Samurai fashion. It was an honor. Uh, and uh
0: thank you, Adolfo. Amador.
2: Oh boy. My last words. Don't let your dreams not be dreams. Just do it. I don't know. I never would have thought I would be sitting here with a bunch of talented people doing podcasts. I thought I was just going to be go working with aggressive dogs, but yet here I am. I'm really thankful for opportunities like this. I'm thankful for Mikey, thankful for this wonderful cast of people that I will hopefully get to experience and. Other podcasts, other games that our lovely DMs have put out for us. I say, if you think about doing an actual play podcast or doing a podcast of any kind, I say do it. It doesn't hurt to try. And the best you can do is try. Yeah. The story was really fun. I had a blast. Never thought I could be a little bit better at RPing than I thought I was. Yeah. Thank
0: you, Amador. And of course, last but certainly not least. Will
4: <laughs> everyone? Sadly, this is the only game I'm involved with with Vibe tribe at the moment. So after this, I bid you all a fond farewell until you know we meet again. I can say that it has been a fantastic working with all you talented folks and just watching the story unfold most of the time when I would get to here get to sit here and listen and when I go back and listen to the old episodes. It's just, it blows me away. It truly does. It's good. It's a great, I have to say, Mikey, it's a great cast you to put together. Strong in all their own, in all of our own ways. And all of our strengths supported each other. And I thought that was fantastic. So it's been an honor and a pleasure, gentlemen.
0: And I've been doing good. Come on, Mikey, you can do this. <laughs> no, this- as everyone else has said, this has been it's been a true pleasure. Never in my wildest dreams that I thought that a kid that got tired of games being canceled and decided to run this so that way he's in control of when games get canceled would be it would turn into such a rewarding experience. This game has meant a lot to me It's been really fun running it and writing for it. You guys are all phenomenal talents, and to anyone listening to this, I encourage you to seek out these guys and the other things that they're a part of, because if anything, I want them to get the recognition, and I want them to get all the kudos, because I wrote the story. But it was only able to be brought to life because of them, and they knocked it out of the park every single time. But I am—it's bittersweet. I am sad that season one is and that these characters in this story is going to be put back on the shelf for a little bit. But I'm really excited oh. to bring it back in the future and to continue on in this journey because this has been just in all aspects, not just as a TTRPG, but also for my own personal life. This has been a true cathartic journey and has been really fulfilling. But with that to the listening audience, I want to take this time and opportunity to thank you all for being a part of this journey. For those of you that subscribed and listened, to those of you that left comments, to those of you that messaged myself and some others in this game about how much this story has meant to you, without all of you listening, this wouldn't have been a story without my cast, without you all listening. And I truly mean this from the bottom of my heart Thank you, and I am extremely grateful and appreciative of you being a part of this journey. I don't want to do it, but it has got to be done. So for now, this is Mikey, and for all of us here at Budasato for the last time of Season 1, thank you so much for listening. And remember, take care of each other, love one another, and as always, Make sure you let those good times roll. We'll see you on the flip side. Take care.